0: Good seeing you all again. Haven't seen some of you for a while. Um, lovely. Um, the thing that is stirring inside of me is for this morning that I want to share on is um, it's on. How do we um? How do we look to the scripture? Look to what God is saying and. Press beyond the shadow of of, of, um, what may be said, all right? Um, I believe in every scripture, in every prophetic word, in everything that God declares, there is an intent that he has in mind. But if we take it literally, you know, somebody gives you a word of prophecy, and that's why sometimes it's good to wait on God to see what God is saying in, in, in prophetic words. You could almost achieve the literal working out of that which God declared, and miss God. Yeah? And a lot of people have done that. I have done that many times. In fact, Israel is a testament, testament to that. You know, they were God called out people, but at times they had an inability to, to achieve the perfection of that which God wants. Because um, although God declares things into the earth, there's, a, there's an intent that God has. And I think we. We, we touched on a bit of that, I think the last time I shared. I went to Revelation um, 21 and 22. And saying that God is both the Alpha and the Omega. There is a perfection and a completeness in, 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 what, in who God is. And he has given us an opportunity to partake in that. But more importantly, the agenda or the mystery of, of, of we, God's creation and all the other things that exist, is so that God could reveal himself. All right, say God desires to reveal himself. If you Repeat that, God desires to reveal himself. Yeah, God desires to tabernacle. He talks about the mystery that was buried, that is being fulfilled in this age. And um, I'm, I'm privileged and I'm fortunate and unworthy, but by his blood, privileged to, to walk in this unveiling of God. All right, God desires to tabernacle inside of us. If we just turn quickly, so I'm going to talk about The intent of God, but um, just kind of say the pitfalls that I have experienced across my walk of faith, where I have seen glimpses of God and kind of laid hold and hold it too precious in my hand and almost miss God in the process. So it became even the thing that God gave became a stumbling block to me because I was preserving the thing and not getting God. All right, Um, so I'm just going to talk from my experience, some things I've seen in the Scripture and then hopefully we all can, can use it as, as an instruction in terms of how do we go and get all of God and not the things that comes by God's hands, okay? Um, so we're going to go to Revelation 21. This thing is working. I have to go old school with the Bible. Okay. Uh, Right at the back. <laughs> yeah. And I read from verse 1. Are we there? Revelation 21.1. And he said, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I'm reading from the King James Version. Please bear with me. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And also there were no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Behold. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be their God. What we are seeing there is the intent of God coming into being. Where we, the vessels, the people, the thing that God declared in Genesis, that we are living souls, that God ultimately gets his intent. And if you read the rest of that chapter... I think we did it the last time I was teaching. It talked about walls of jasper and foundation stones, and it talked about different things, and they being like pure glass. But God finally got an opportunity to occupy man. Not man in a singular state, but together. As we all came together, we we represented the wall, the foundations, the gates of all the glory of God. All right? So... um, God is designed to descend into that city. He talked, if you read further on into it, about there will be no need for light because God was his light. Yeah? And we know God is light. Yeah? And God descended into that city. And it said he was the one who illuminated that city. And he will be the one who illuminates us. All right? Um Let's just, just before we go further, let's just, let me just buttress a point. Second Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. Then we go to Romans 9. We'll read Romans 9 after. All right. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is possible for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All right, so I just want to lay this out. As we go and we read some scriptures and we seek to inquire of the mind of God, I said just now in Revelations that God is light. There will be I have a faith and a confidence that we'll see something more of God. But as we see more of God, I don't want us to feel in any way condemned or or, or I'm unworthy or too proud. Yeah, that's me. You know, I'm walking in the fullness of that. All right? Light comes in stages, and God requires us every time we see him to, to run towards him, to embrace him. All right? ultimately, until we disappear, and all that is evident is him. Which, when you read Revelations 21, that the sense of jasper and gold and onyx and all those things becoming transparent is the process of, although we are precious, we are supposed to disappear so that God is the only thing that is seen. Okay? So I'm just using this, just as we read the, the rest of the scriptures, for some people, it will be reproof, So some people will be confirmation, but we all have a responsibility to make sure that only God is seen at the end, okay? As things in you die, or as things in you are confirmed, as you have walked faithfully, don't become proud, all right? Let us allow God to be the thing that shines. All right, so let's read Romans, and we'll talk a bit about the shadow of life, of of the things that God says, and that God is hidden behind those things. And I'll read, and then we'll, uh, Romans 9. So this scripture talks a bit about Israel. I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen in the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Verse 5 Of whom are the fathers, and from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are all of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But it is in Isaac your seed shall be called. So here is God talking. Here is Paul writing about the Jews. And what he's saying is that the Jews we know... Um, and some people I appreciate might have visitors here, and I welcome you, all right? But there are, Israel were people called by God and called God's people. But Paul, who was one of the chief in terms of, an, he was an Israelite by his bloodline, but also he was high-ranking. He was saying that, he was going to show that, hey, although we were called by God, let us not use this as an excuse. Let us not miss God, because there is something more beyond your, your passport. And Israelite was like a spiritual passport. There is something beyond your spiritual passport. God wants something more. All right? So that's what this story is seeking to, to, to bring out. Leaders concerned with the NIV. All right, so we'll probably take the NIV off, and I will try to use the King James because I think the King James brings out some words that the NIV kind of soften, and therefore it takes, takes away what I believe is the meaning from what... Ah, it's there. Okay. Where you see a word, you put your hand up, and I will explain. Okay? What word do you want to find out? <laughs> okay. Let's go back. Daniel, in your word? Okay. Okay. (laughs) God will bring it to light. I'm trusting. Okay? So... Israel, he said in verse 6, but it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, those who are called the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come. And Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca had also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall save the younger. As it is written... Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? If there were unrighteous, is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, "I will have mercy on whoever I will, and I, I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not him who wills, nor of him who runs. But God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump, make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering? The vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it is said to uh, to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, has left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel... Pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, I have laid in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. All right, that's the end of Romans 9. Thanks for bearing with me. I'll see if I bring on some things. And um, as always, if after there is something that is jars at you, you clearly didn't understand or oh, I'm in error, on, I am quite happy to meet with you and for us to go over that so we both will live more enlightened, all right? Um, but I just want to pick out some things from, from this scripture, all right? So... We see a word going to Israel, and God is saying to them at the end, there was a stumbling block, all right? And the Israelites were people called by God, but some of them didn't enter the promise. And for those of us who read biblical stories, we, we hear a lot of stories about God valiantly defending the Israelites and bringing them into the land of promise and giving them an inheritance and. But this same God, if we be fair, destroyed the Israelites a lot of times. He judged them. Okay? And what I find quite interesting is that the confidence that God has in a seed. What I mean by that, God only needs one. So God could walk into this room, and if one of us be righteous, his word has been proven true. I have just grown up believing that God needed a multitude to prove himself. Not so? For those who have walked in the faith for a long time. Not so. You kind of feel God needs many in order to prove that he's glorious. But we know that he trusted the perfection of his will in his son. And that's the righteous standard. We know he destroyed all the Israelites, save Caleb and Joshua. And to him, he proved himself in the wilderness. Yeah? Yeah? but everybody else died and perished. We know many a times he destroyed tens of thousands of Israelites. We know he destroyed the whole earth and only preserved Noah and his family, righteous Noah. And God was still vindicated. So um, I've often had to recalibrate or reorganize my thinking that God needs many in order to vindicate himself. You know, And something I mentioned when I was up here the last time, God is good or God is perfect, that's a truth. Humanity is not needed to prove that God is good or he's perfect. The earth or the universe don't need to exist to prove that God is good or God is perfect. We are only tools that reveal his glory. Okay? The glory that was revealed before, angels marveled at it. But it wasn't the fullness of God. Yeah? Yeah? And therein lies the deception, where Satan believed because he existed so close to God, that he saw all of God, and he counted himself equal to God, because he was the morning star. And then he realized, hey, there's depths and measures of God that I haven't seen or I haven't beheld. And that's why I said that scripture in 2 Timothy 3:16, that we can't become too proud. Even when we read scripture and we see aspects of it in our lives, all we need to do is be grateful for God's mercy that he's revealing aspects of his nature to us. All right, so Israelites were people called by God, but essentially, as God continued to reveal himself and to reconcile the Gentiles to himself, it become a problem for them. I thought we were the special ones, you know, or the Pharisees. I thought we were the elect ones. Why are you bringing these other people into this great inheritance? But God always intended or desired that all of humanity will have an opportunity to embrace his glory. Okay? And he said in his word that no one will have an excuse. Could you repeat that? No one will have an excuse. It is not no one in good who didn't come into this hall today or into another church. No one. Wherever you are, the glory and the wisdom of God will confront you. You will have a day of reckoning. No one will be able to stand before the sovereign God and says, I didn't hear that message. Or, let me just use a, a sidetrack. Or, hands read from King, New King James. Or, his dialect was a different thing. Or, um, there's no excuse. I didn't go to Soul Survivor and I was a young person. No one will have an excuse. Because God visits every soul. You believe that? Or am I being harsh? God visits every soul. And wherever you are, you have an opportunity to choose whether you're going to surrender to the majesty of his glory. Or you're going to be condemned. The last time I shared, we shared from Revelation, um, Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. We talk about not being a slave of fear. And I was saying to you at that time, we all have choices. Choices to believe what God declares over you, or to believe what the enemy declares over you. Because what I said at the last time, over this walk of life, this walk of faith, there are times where we walked in disobedience. So we took on the nature of the evil one. But according to this walk of faith as well, there are times when we walk in obedience and the nature of God is being imprinted in us. And at every junction, we have an opportunity to look back into ourselves and say, am I going to conclude the statue of hands based on the disobedience of my past or based on the obedience? And I am choosing to live life based on the obedience of life in Christ not my disobedience. Yeah? And the reason I do that is not because I have a lot of obedience packed up in my history. The reason I do that is because the Bible says the perfect price, the sacrifice for sin in Jesus is a complete act. And therefore, on that I can stand. And if there is remissions for sins, remission, sorry, (laughs) if there is forgiveness for sins, Both past future, Mark talked about the cross today, the wondrous work done on the cross. If I believe by faith that the boy that walked in Nazareth, who was the carpenter's son, was actually the son of God, and that he lived a perfect life, and that he died a death that he didn't deserve to die, then I have to believe that I have access to a new life. I have come into a passport, into a new inheritance. Yeah? yeah? The same faith I used to believe that Jesus has once and for all cleansed my sins. And for every act I commit, I am part of, an, of the family of faith that I could stand confidently in It's the same faith you guys used to believe that the world was created by God. Yeah? The Bible said in the beginning, God created the world. We believe that sin came into the world by Adam's sinning. Not so? Who disbelieved that? So, if we believe that sin came into the world by Adam's sin, it's the same faith we are using to believe that sin is once and for all dealt with by the righteousness of Jesus. But at the time of your disobedience, it's hard to stand on that, isn't it? You think, but well, because I know that I shouldn't have done it. Yeah? Well, that's the thoughts that come to me. You all are very silent. (laughs) The thought that comes to me is that because I know that, I shouldn't have done it. But that's the trick of the enemy. The trick of the enemy is to say there's no way back. And the reason what he does is to say there's no way back because you've got to perform works in order to please God. But God is not interested in works. He's interested in his nature being imprinted in our lives and us choosing to believe that he is, and that the price that he paid through his son was once and for all, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? So, we have opportunities to, to walk in obedience. You know, um, this weekend, I was just illuminating on me. Walking in obedience is doing the works of righteousness. Works of righteousness is, um, I, 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 I connote as, partaking of the meat of the father so God gives an instruction and I obey the instruction I'm doing his commandments okay we following yeah God gives an instruction I do the instruction I'm walking in obedience and I'm following his commandments and God who doesn't see just the action that I did but sees the motive of my heart he says that one day I will judge you and I will judge the motives of your heart Because I said everybody will will have an opportunity to stand before the judgment seat of God. And a scripture that I always read incorrectly is the scripture in Revelations. Revelations 2 to chapter 4. You know that, the word to the churches. Yeah, anybody familiar with that? When God, the church of Philadelphia, you know those churches. I always read that and think, oh, those churches are so bad. Only one of them seems a bit okay. And God had to confront my thinking. He says, no, they're all okay. They are all mature churches. You know they're all different to the churches we seen in Corinthians, those churches that were now coming to the faith. But they had natures of God, and God was affirming them, "I love this thing. I love that. I love the other." But by His mercy He was saying, "But some of these things you're drawing back from. So repent of them. Some of these things I'm challenging you on, and you're not giving it up. So please do. So There was the nature of God evident in the churches, as it is in all of your lives. But when the word of God is declared, or you meet with a friend and somebody shares something with you, and you feel convicted, what God is doing in those opportunities is reminding you of his nature. And the parts of you that are drawing back from his nature, he's seeking to encourage you. To say, hey, hold on to that, or... Give up this behavior or give up this preference. And at those opportunities, we have a decision to say, you know what? Yes, God, I surrender not my will but your will. Where we see that scripture with Jesus, yeah? Or we say, you know what? No, I want my will. But nothing is bad on it. I just want not to go to to visit this person today. Or I, I don't want to give away this thing. Or I don't want to pray for this person right now. I prefer to sleep. Or I don't, you know aspects where God confronts you and asks you to go the extra mile in terms of obeying a commandment, you have a choice in those situations to draw back or not. And to the churches in Revelations 2-4, to, 2 to 4, he said, remember your first love or avoid the doctrine of the Nicolaitans or um, give up this thing. Don't be hot and cold. Don't be passionate for God in one moment and cold and to God in one moment. And why am I declaring this? I believe... There's a place that God is taking us to as a community, as individuals, to be his pleasure. When I say be his pleasure, what do I mean? I have often enjoyed my walk of faith. I have a sense of, like, this mighty God above all the religions and all the other false gods that people serve. How privileged it is for me to be part of a group of people that believe in the one true God. I count it an absolute privilege to to live the rest of my days among people who both love me and care for the perfection that I can be rather than squabbling about a family inheritance or, you know, squabbling about profile and job and stuff. I'm among you guys and that's something to be excited about. Are you excited to be among each other? Yeah, we are part of something excellent above all the family and the climates and the holidays and stuff. We are part of something more glorious. But while we can enjoy those things, the key issue is about God having pleasure. You see, for the days of man is like the flower in a field, as the Bible describes in James, it quickly comes up and it passes away. And some people in the journey of this life they have exaltation and riches, and some people have adversity. But again, we read in Romans 8, and also in Hebrews, whether you lose your children, whether you suffer persecution, or whether great victory comes at your hand, you are Gideon, and you defeat mighty armies, or you were the Israelites and you walked through, I don't know if I would want to walk through the river, not the river, yeah, the river and um, and the sea. I don't know if I would want to be in Egypt, when everybody is screaming that their firstborn is dying, and I am thinking about the children in my house. I I, I don't, you know, it's good to see those things in hindsight, that God was victorious, but if you were there, I think you'd be scared. Would you not? You know, frogs and, and plagues coming down from heaven. I don't think I'd want to be there. I think I'd want to hear about the story after the fact. But the point I'm making is, whether the circumstances of your life are pleasant Or the circumstances of your life are adverse, God is still God. And there is still a beauty of His intent that we need to connect to. And if we don't, we will absolutely miss God. You will end up at the judgment seat of God and either say, But God, where were you when I was praying for this? Or where were you when my child was sick? Or where were you when I was believing you and asking you for a partner to marry? Or where were you when my, I failed my exams? Or where were you when I fell sick? You know, you could, you could say, well, if you had proven yourself, I would have served you. But we saw somebody who did that and ended up in hell. And then he says, please, God, I now know you exist. Please send somebody back to tell my family. And he says, no. <laughs> Let them believe the prophets. All right. So also like us, in this Romans 9. We have circumstances and things that we are believing God for. But I want us to remind ourselves that above our pleasure, above having a victory or intervention of God in our circumstances, there is something bigger. And that thing I want to suggest is the pleasure of God. Listen to me, there were... Probably two million Israelites, those Bible scholars among us. How many people were in the Exodus? There were millions of them, weren't there? But then there were still people who were called out to be priests working in the outer court. Not so? Those who were zealous. There were still people who then went a bit further. So there are degrees in this walk of faith. You have a choice. I have a choice. I could decide just to have the salvation of Jesus or I could decide to give God pleasure. I could decide that all I want from God is just an escape after mortality finishes. Or I could decide I want something more. That even in this mortal life, I will give God pleasure. And I believe many of us want to do that, if not all of us. I believe that's what Jesus did. You know, I was hearing something last night, a scripture that often resounds in me. It's very interesting that at the Jordan, the thing that was said and prophesied over Jesus is this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We all know that scripture? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What was God pleased with? Because at 11 he spoke to the, to the lawyers and the doctors. Have you ever wondered, what was the thing God is speaking there? Was it, he was talking future tense, I, I'm pleased because I know what he will do. Or I'm pleased because of what he has done. What do you think it is? Some feedback? Huh? Neither. Of who he is. How you describe who he is? Wholehearted is his son, his holiness, his completeness. his heart is in line with his action. His heart is in line with his action, always. Interesting. And that's true. If you go and read the epistles, those guys spent little time, epistles from Romans down to the end. Those, you know, Acts down to the end. Those guys spent a little time talking about the miracles Jesus did. Have you ever noticed that? The disciples didn't spend time in the epistles, Peter and John and those guys, talking about mighty, wondrous miracles. And even Paul, who was not around and unveiled Christ, he wasn't speaking about the miracles of Christ. So he wasn't speaking about the life of Christ, particularly in the last three years of his life. The thing that he was talking about is his nature, the obedience. Suffering being complete and perfected. So that whole thing that Neil mentioned there and that sonship, uh, uh, Alan mentioned, the sense of, uh, that Andrew mentioned, sorry, in terms of he was his son. I believe there is something in this life that we are called to do above signs and wonders. It is total obedience to God. And it said in Hebrews 10, Behold, I am written in the volume of the book. And in John, it talks about, you know, the last two chapters of John. It said, even if all the, the things that Jesus did was to be written, there isn't enough books to, to, to contain them. What, is, what they are talking about there is somebody who every word, every footstep, every action, every thought... Was only what God wanted him to do. I'm not talking about somebody who did it for three days. I've had sometimes, you know, I get through two or three days and I feel like I'm really all right. I kind of did all God <laughs> said, and I feel oh, I'm righteous, you know. Um, I'm not going to go outside tomorrow. I want to keep this this aura of, you know. But we're we talking about somebody who did it and perfected it for thirty years. You know, it makes me even marvel at, at, at this guy called Enoch in the Bible. That for over hundreds of years, he walked with God consistently. So every time a thought comes to my mind, Hans, you're only human. You've got to be, but be real, you're only a man. It's something trying to tell me, don't agree with the nature of who God says I am, but my fallen man. If I come to you and quote the scripture, dust to dust and ashes to ashes, and every time you have a pain in your body, I said, ah, remember you're only dust. Remember you're only clay. You're going back to dust. Come, be be, be normal, you know. (laughs) It's only clay that has formed you. You're going to rot again. That would not encourage you, would it? Yeah? But it's the truth, not so. And so also is the lie that says to us, at every time that we stumble, you're only a man, so give yourself an excuse. I'm not only a man. And what God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. He said it also to Isaiah. Let's read it in Isaiah. The last chapter of Isaiah. Sorry, Jacob. I thought I was going to talk on Romans. Hopefully, it's all buried there. Isaiah... Just before the end, 61, 49, 49, 49, verse 1 to probably 5. So whoa, time is gone, right, I'll wrap up, I'll read from here for ease. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. This is Isaiah talking. From the bowels of my mother, he has made mention of my name. Go forward. And he had made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. Had he hid me. And has made me a polished shaft in his quiver. Had he hid me. Go ahead. And said unto me. Thou art my servant, in whom I will be glorified. Let, let's stop there. Please, let me, let me just mention this. When, when it says, Jeremiah says, Before I formed you, I knew you. Or Isaiah is quoting that there. That formation is not joining my fingers to my palm, to my arm, to my sh- shoulder. That formation is my nature. Okay? Time don't allow me to, 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 to buttress that point. But the formation of God, the, the, the person that God knows, please, it is not your hairstyle. Okay? It's not your complexion. It's not your nose. That's not the thing that God is calling beautiful. You are created beautifully, all of you. <laughs> yeah? But the thing that God looks for is the nature of the person whom you have become. Is Christ being formed inside of you? Okay? No, no, no. I don't have agreement. Yes. Guys, yes. some people only see with natural eyes. Didn't people, after they start to see miracles, say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, Joseph? Isn't this Jesus, son of Ba, or son of Joseph, or whatever it is? You know? Because they were looking at him through somebody that they became familiar with. They were not beholding the nature That was being built inside of him. So therefore, the thing that God is after is nature being built. That's the thing that gives him pleasure. And the thing that I I was using that point to reinforce is that over this journey of life, God is doing a work inside of us. And we have got to rejoice in that work. You have got to call that work good. If you don't, you're saying that God is a liar. Guys, the glory covering the earth as the water covers the sea is the natures of God that is being built inside of all of us. And if at any point in time we give ourselves an excuse just because of sometimes there is disobedience or thoughts that assail you, then we are failing to walk in the power of that which God is doing. And I, just as the youths were up here and they were, they were celebrating, the thing that just that, that, that came to my heart, God, yes. It's good. I remember weeks of praying to say, God, light a passion inside of our youth. I'm standing there worshiping and I'm hearing them behind me singing out, you know, and KSC drew my attention to one of them as they were praying and just reading. And I said, God, yes, do it again. Confirm it. This thing that you have started, perform it to the end, yeah? And it's good that all young people had moments of encounter and enjoyed, or enjoyed getting to know their God. But I, I just want to believe that there is something even beyond that for all of us. Which is giving God pleasure. Not because of a healing or a divine encounter. But because we are seeing Christ being formed inside of us. Because as the Bible said, many of our forefathers, spiritual Israel, they saw signs and wonders in Egypt. They saw signs and wonders 40 years in the desert. But in them God had no pleasure, save for Caleb and for Joshua. What does God mean by that? That anybody see a sign and wonder, it will, get, it will, gather, it will um, gain their interest, their attention. But the thing that gets God attention, because he's the one doing the sign and the wonder, is not a Red Sea parting or a broken limb healing or somebody coming back to life. What God is interested in is the thing that's talked about in Ezekiel, about dry bones coming to life. The nature of God being formed in man. And I want to believe that God, that's what God is calling us to. And anything that God gives us is a shadow that if it stops short of God totally possessing and being seen inside of you. So as I conclude, God is desiring to shine through my life. God is designed to shine through your life. I'm com- committing myself to recognize the glory of God and the nature of God being seen in your lives. When I come among you, I don't want to give you an excuse for your disobedience. And please don't give me an excuse for my disobedience. Yeah? Don't judge me and be a lack of gracious even in my disobedience. But encourage me Remind me of the beautiful work that God is doing in my heart. And through encouragement, through psalms, through songs, through words of revelation and encouragement, buffet me as I promised to do to you so that we could make this thing beautiful. The Israelites, they couldn't go beyond the law. Some of us may not be able to go beyond acts of righteousness or works of our hands. Good grades, good jobs healing. Some of us will boast about those things and those things are good. But the thing I want to boast about is when I describe Neil, it's not that I know a guy who is a good teacher in a good um, independent school. I want to talk about Neil, the man who God is forming. When I talk about Ken, I don't talk about guy, what's that guy? Postmortem. What's he called, I think, again? What he did? Pathologist. I don't talk about Ken the pathologist or Ken the, the botanist. What I talk about is a man who is humble and meek before God. I don't like air and titles, and people who work with me know that. I don't, uh, car parking spaces or job titles, I don't care about. Unless you can talk about me, hands the nature of the person who loves God. I'm not interested in anything else. Profession, my past, normal achievements in this life. The only thing I'm interested in is Christ and Christ formed inside of me. And that's what I want to encourage in you. I want to declare that everything else is a shadow and the only thing that is glorious is if God could remove our mortal existence and leave only in this room the things that we have achieved in his nature. That is the thing that makes this community beautiful. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as I hand over back to Neil and they. I think that's all I want to declare. Thank you.